a seat. You got your Bibles, grab them. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we will be looking at verses 10 through 13. Happy Mother's Day to you guys, or not to you guys, but to you moms. That's who I meant by guys. Um, we love you. We'll be praying for you later uh, towards the end of the service, and um, we're just glad that you're here, and we're thankful for you. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. So what we're doing this morning as we're walking through the book of 1 Peter, and if you are just visiting with us, what we usually do here is, not always, but we usually just walk through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. Um, we believe that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do the work of God, and that's what, what happens all the time. That's the way change happens in our lives, happens in our hearts, happens in our world, is that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to do the work of God. And so um, that's our plan. We just, we just look at it over and over and over, and not just on Sunday mornings, uh, but as we gather in small groups, small churches, and, um, and hopefully you do as well in your own life. And so what we've been looking at here in 1 Peter chapter 1, today we're finishing up one of the most glorious sentences ever written. If you remember, uh, I told you this a couple weeks ago as we started this, but verses 3 through 12 in the original language, the Greek in which it was originally written, is one long, complex, run-on sentence. Okay, and what makes this sentence so glorious, and again, we're just kind of looking at the end of it today as, as Peter finally finishes uh, his sentence here. What makes it so glorious is that the, in this long sentence, it's all indicative. What I mean is that is, by that is that it, it's, it's, there, there's nothing about what we have to do. It's all about what is true. Now, Peter's going to go on in the rest of the letter, and he's going to talk a lot about what we need to do. But this is important for us to grasp, and I've mentioned this before, but just to remind us of it again as, as we finish up this sentence, is that as a Christian, whatever we do, it always flows out of what is true. Whatever we do, it flows out of what God has done. And I want to remind us this morning that what we have to proclaim, and you've heard me say this a lot over the last couple of weeks as we've been studying uh, this passage in particular, but uh, guys, what we have is good news. It's good news about what Jesus Christ has done, about what he has accomplished for us. And when we have good news, when you have good news to share with somebody, that your favorite sports team won the game last night, or, um, uh, or that your favorite person got elected to office, or, or whatever. When you share that, what, what is your demeanor? What is your countenance? What is your attitude like when you are a bearer, a carrier of good, of good news? It's joy. And last week we saw that, um, in verses 8 and 9, that in fact it's, it's, it's joy that Peter says is inexpressible, and filled with glory. And this morning, as, as Peter brings this glorious sentence to a close, he wants to continue to stir our hearts um, and the hearts of his readers by reminding them of the practical and supernatural means, the means by which the gospel came to them. Now, here's what I mean, because I don't want you to miss this, is that we, we have good news. The good news is the package that we receive, but the package came to us the gift came to us through means that are also glorious. So it's kind of like this. Um, you guys know that Hannah opened a little shop, East Creek & Co., back in, back in Winesburg, and so she sells her little, you know, boutique-y things in there. And, um, and so we uh, have been getting a lot of packages 
to our house. And so, you know, she's ordering, you know, got these rugs coming from Turkey and all this different stuff. And, um, and so these packages come, so we've been having a lot of delivery guys, but there are different means of delivery, okay? Sometimes it's the U.S. Postal Service, sometimes it's FedEx, sometimes it's UPS. <laughs> Those are the means through which the package is delivered to us. Now, usually, and not just usually, but never once has, uh, you know, if I've been home when a package has arrived or whatever and Hannah isn't there and I, you know, I tell her that it's there, never once has she said, oh, did the UPS guy bring it? Or, oh, was it the FedEx guy this time? No, she, she doesn't get excited about the means through which the package was delivered. She's just excited about the package, okay? Which makes sense, okay? Unless you really love your UPS guy or something. Um, which would be kind of weird. But, but what, what Peter is going to tell us here this morning is that, yes, the, the package that we've received, this gospel, that and we, this is back in verse 3, that, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Th- that is glorious. The package has arrived. It is ours. It is awesome. But not only that, but the means through which it was delivered to us, is also glorious, and it should cause unbelievable thankfulness to abound in our hearts. That not only the package that we've received is glorious, but also the means through which it came. And he has, I believe, a very specific implication here that he wants to communicate to the original readers of this letter, but as well as to us this morning. And namely, what makes not only the message Um, but also the means through which that message came glorious is grace. It's grace. What we're going to see this morning is that the gospel is a message of grace that came to us by a means of grace, that our hope would be fixed on grace, that we might glorify the God of grace. So that's what we're going to look at. Look at me, verse 10 with me this morning. He says, concerning this salvation. So again, the mind has like a paragraph break there, a new sentence, but again, it's all one sentence. He's just continuing to roll on. He says, concerning this salvation, of of which he's been speaking of, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now, again, I said this is a message of grace, and we've seen this already in this sentence and in this passage that we've been studying, but he reiterates it again here, is that there's many ways he could have summed up the message of the prophets. And the prophets, he just means all the Old Testament writers, okay? All the Old Testament writers. He says the prophets who prophesied about the the grace that was to be yours, that what we have received is a message of grace. And he could have said this in different ways, and at different places, Paul and, and different, Peter and, di- and different writers, they do say it in different ways. But here, Peter sums up the message of the gospel with the word grace. Not just reconciliation, not just redemption, not just freedom, but grace. Grace, 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 grace. Mercy Hill Church, I just got to stop. And just for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, grace has got to be a big deal for us. It's got to be a big deal. There's a reason why we intentionally put it in our mission statement, that our mission, okay, is not just something that we do on Sundays, it's not just something that we do on Wednesdays, but every moment of every day, every person that we come in contact with, what is our mission? 
is that we want to help them in that moment, in every conversation. We want to help that person worship Jesus. We want to help every person continually worship Jesus. How? By imparting grace with our words, works, gifts, and resources. And there's a reason that we list words first, because that is the primary way that we do impart grace. Yes, we do stuff for people. Yes, we give stuff to people. Yes, we serve people. And that is, is, is also grace into their life to help them to worship Jesus. But first and foremost, it is a message that we proclaim. And central to this message has got to be this idea of grace. But it's got to be more than just an idea. Guys, it, it has to be real to us. Is that if grace is just is this some sort of theological concept or word to you this morning, then I don't think you understand grace. Grace has got to be personal or it is not biblical, real grace that transforms your heart and life. And he goes on and he says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be whose? Yours. See that? About the grace that was to be yours. Thousands of years ago, people were, the the Spirit of God was working, and, and he'll explain this more in the passage. The Spirit of God was working and, and they, were, they were seeing this time that some sort of, this grace was going to come through this, through this prophet, this deliverer. It's Jesus, we know that now, looking back, but they didn't fully, fully see it. And they looked at this, this grace that was to be yours. Who's, who's yours? Us! The recipients of Peter's letter, yes, but 2,000 years later, Us! That you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a recipient of grace. That people thousands of years ago, they, they, they were searching. It says they, were, they searched and they inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. But guys, is this, is this grace yours this morning like can you say like as peter says that this grace that was to be yours is it yours because if it's not yours then you don't really understand you don't really understand grace grace is um what i call the catalyst of the kingdom it changes things you guys know what a catalytic converter is on a car Anybody? No? Okay, well, I mean, have you heard of a catalytic converter? Who cares if you know what it does? Have you heard of a catalytic converter? I've had to replace one or two. They're kind of expensive. The reason they're expensive is because they're usually lined with kind of special metal, expensive metals like platinum, primarily. But what a catalytic converter does, what I mean by grace being the catalyst of the kingdom, is that a catalytic converter, you know, as your engine is burning up fuel or whatever and causing power and blows the exhaust out the back, there's a ton of, of uh, bad um, uh, gases and stuff, carbon monoxide. And I, if I understand it correctly, uh, what a cat, one, of, one of the things that a catalytic converter does is it, it at least converts some of that carbon monoxide, which is bad, into carbon dioxide, which, isn't, which is not bad. Um, and so because it's lined with this, with this platinum, this precious metal on the inside, it literally transforms the very nature of that which is bad into something that, that, is, that, that, that is good. And guys, that, that's what grace does. 
It transforms that which is bad into something that is good. It is the catalyst of the kingdom. What makes the kingdom of God real among us? It is when his people live and operate in an understanding of grace that not only they are thankful for because it's ours, because we've received it, because we're amazed by it, because we're amazed by grace, but we also give it out and give it away and show it to others and in this way bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, there's a story told that um, during a British conference on comparative religions, uh, experts from around the world debated what, if any, was uh, unique uh, to Christianity. <coughs> um, and they began eliminating possibilities. They talked about the incarnation. Jesus be be became flesh, which is obviously a, a big deal, um, not minimizing it at all. But there are other religions uh, with, with different versions. I mean, they were all fake. It wasn't real. But, but they still claim to have had somebody rise from the dead um, or, or where God became flesh. Also, the resurrection. There's other religions that claim to have had somebody rise from the dead, but then they died again. So it doesn't really count. But anyway... Um, but the debate went on about what made Christianity unique. Um, and C.S. Lewis, it says, wandered into this room where this guy, these guys were debating this. Um, and he said, what's all the rumpus about? And he asked, and, and in reply, uh, they said that they were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among other world religions. And C.S. Lewis responded, said, oh, that's easy. And he walked over the chalkboard, and he just drew, drew real big on the chalkboard. G-R-A-C-E, grace. That this grace that we hopefully have received in our lives is something that has got to be central to our life and to our message um, and personally every day uh, that we live in it, that we enjoy it, and that we are satisfied by it. But this, honestly, isn't the main thrust of the passage. And again, we've, we've seen this before. But I wanted to just review that, yes, it is a message. We have a message of grace. But here's what Peter really wants to get across this morning as he goes on here. Is that not only is, is it a message of grace, but it came through a means of grace. The way through which it came was amazing. And I've touched on it already, but primarily that there were these prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours or, or, or ours. And again, they searched and they inquired. It's this idea that they're just like, they're seeking. They're looking. They so badly want to understand what the Spirit of God was, was um, speaking to them and, 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 and God in all his wisdom in the Old Testament. It's like we're, we're told um, in the book of Hebrews that the Old Testament, it's, it's like it came in shadows. There's a form of it. They see a shadow of this grace of this Savior that was to come. But they were searching and they were inquiring carefully. And here's what was revealed to them, verse 12. And it was revealed to them, these prophets of old, that they were serving not themselves, but you, but us, here this morning. This is what Peter wants us to grasp and what I want us to sit in a little bit this morning is that in ages past there were a group of people that put in tremendous effort 
That's what's implied here by those words where they searched and they inquired carefully. That they put tremendous effort into seeking the Lord, seeking his face, into walking with him, into knowing him. And was there benefit for their lives? Absolutely. You walk with God, it's good, okay? It's hard at times, but it's good. But they weren't the ones that were to receive the reward or the ultimate um, benefit of all of their seeking. They were seeking God, searching and inquiring carefully, but they didn't do it for themselves, but for us. But for us. And I think sometimes, guys, we forget that if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that somehow, in some way, shape, or form, that that message came to you through somebody else, and through somebody else before them, and through somebody else before them, and through somebody else before, before them. And it is this means of grace through which the gospel has come to us, of which Peter wants this group of readers to be extremely, extremely thankful as he finishes out this glorious sentence. Again, the message is good. The message is amazing. But so is the means through which uh, the, message, the message came. That Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, just to name a few of these Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah was mocked and beaten and thrown into a cistern. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, taken into captivity. Ezekiel was taken into captivity. Isaiah was tied to a log and sawn in two. Um, they did the, but they, they stood firm in the message that they had to proclaim so that future generations could hear. And now don't miss the implication first to Peter's readers, original readers, but then also to us this morning. Is that one of the things I've talked about in past weeks is that in this context, Peter is writing to a people who are in the midst or right on the cusp of going through tremendous suffering. And when things get hard, it's easy to retreat. It's easy to not be faithful. And what Peter is doing here in, in sharing this, uh, reminding them of the means of grace through which this message came, is he's saying to them, guys, don't back down. You've got to be faithful in proclaiming this message of grace, this great salvation, this gospel that you have to steward and that you've been given. And remember that there were people that came before you that didn't give up, that stewarded it well. And because they stewarded it well, they searched and inquired carefully, even though they weren't serving themselves, but a future generation, you now have got to steward it well in order to serve the future generation. And guess what, folks? 2,000 years later from the time that this letter was written, they did steward it well because if you're sitting here this morning and you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the message came to you in part because of the faithfulness of these original readers that Peter is writing to. Are you following me? And so my, my, the point, the, the implication here is really simple. Is that, guys, if we've been given this gospel message and we rejoice in it, we sing about it, we delight in it, and we never stop doing that, but it has got to go forth from us. We have got to share it. And... And guys, I just, I just want to bear my heart here for just a little bit, okay? Especially um, if you call Mercy Hill home. This is your home. This is your church. 
family. Guys, we, we, cannot, we cannot exist for ourselves historically, okay, Throughout the centuries, we, we will stand before God one day, and even though we are saved by his grace, and, and you can receive his grace, and we, and we will be there, and we will be in heaven. I, I, I want to tell you the truth of what I believe the Bible teaches, it, that there's a, there, there's a way in which, even though that will be great, we will feel a sense of shame as we stand with this great cloud of witnesses that has lived throughout the ages, that were faithful in taking the message to the lost. And we say, well, we made it all about ourselves, and what was most important to me was that I got there before the donuts ran out on Sunday morning. Or that I got a cup of coffee. You know, we do that, whatever. Like, and I know I'm being facetious here and sarcastic, okay, work with me. But, but my point is, is, guys, I just don't think that we grasp the reality of what God intends for the people that he saves. Is that if he has saved you, I don't care if you're red, yellow, black, white, or brown, if you're young or old, what your background is, you grew up in church, you didn't grow up in church. If he has saved you, he has sent you, to the world around you. It is why you still have breath in your lungs. We exist for this one express purpose, that we would make much of Jesus Christ and boldly proclaim this message of salvation and grace being central to that message, to the world around us. And if we're not doing that, then guys, we are just playing games. And you've got to understand that historically, we live in the midst of a culture that is weird. It's weird. It really is. Uh, and we don't realize that it's weird because in the, in the arc, in the scope of church history, of world history, this is, this is the only world we've ever known. But I'm telling you, as you study history, it's weird that in America in the last 30 to 50-ish years, we have made church all about us. I can take you to a handful of websites right now, the church websites, that it says on the front page, Sunday mornings are all about you. I've read that, that exact thing. It's all, that, it's, all, it's all about you. No, it's not. No, it's not. And see, I'm like, wait, what? What? Guys, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. And we say yes and amen. Absolutely. Well, then are we sharing the good news? Because many times the reason we don't share the good news is real simple. We, we wish it was something complicated. We wish we had an excuse. We wish it was, well, I'm just not a good speaker. Well, I just don't know what to say. Well, I'm just afraid that I'll try to quote a Bible verse and then it won't come out right and I might push them farther away. None of that matters. You know why? Because Jesus, in his marching orders to the church in the Great Commission, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. In other words, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and he's giving that authority, and he says, I'm with you. He wraps up the Great Commission, and he says, and lo, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So the one with all the authority 
to change hearts, to direct your tongue, to give you words to speak in the moment that you need it. He is with you always. And so whatever excuse you want to present before him as to why you maybe can't share the gospel or, or, or whatever, it, it's no excuse. Because the one with all authority is with you. The reason we don't share it is because we've made it all about us. It's selfishness at the core, guys, I'm telling you. And the reason it's selfish is because we're, well, what are they going to say to me? I don't want to hinder this relationship. I don't want to make this awkward. Can, can I tell you something very practically, okay? And, and you may not realize, and, and maybe you've thought about it, but you just haven't heard it like this. If you are going to be a faithful messenger of the gospel, let me tell you something that I can absolutely promise you will have to be true of your life. You ready? You will have to have awkward conversations. Maybe you didn't, I, I'm, I'm telling you. you. You will have to have awkward conversations. There, there's no way around it. And see, even just that little rub right there, because we love to just, we want to be socially accepted just on every level. The prophets were not concerned about being socially accepted. Most of the time, they got beat up or killed. But they were faithful in the midst of their generation. And, and I don't have, I, I thought about throwing up a bunch of slides and graphs and stuff um, this morning, but I didn't. Uh, I'll maybe share one with you, and instead of a graph, I'll just use my hands. It'll be really awesome, believe me. Uh, but if, if, just this one, just take this, okay? This blows my mind. Um, there are more megachurches in the Nashville area today than there were anywhere throughout the world back in 1965, I believe it is. So let me, let me say that again. So, Back in 1965, there were X amount of megachurches throughout the world. Today, there are just that many megachurches in Nashville. Now, listen, uh, disclaimer, there are really, really healthy big churches. There are really, really unhealthy big churches. There are really, really healthy small churches. There are really, really unhealthy small churches. Size, I, I'm not against any size, okay? But here's the deal. Is that so? And every year, the number of megachurches in America, listen, this is true. Or no, I'm sorry, every 10 years. Every 10 years, the number of megachurches in America, it doubles. So from 1965 to today, if you were to graph this out, you had a few, and then it doubles every year. So the graph for the number of megachurches in America goes like this it's a steep curve. You follow me? Because it doubles, the number of churches doubles every, every, every 10 years, okay? And so here's, here's what we do. And again, this is the world in which most of us have just lived, and this has been our reality. But I say it's, it's weird. It's not normal. Is that at the same time that the number of megachurches is going like this, and we go, oh, praise God. Praise God. Everybody's getting saved. No, they're not. Because at the exact same time, if you were to graph out the number of people who profess to be Christians in America, the chart goes like this. So on the one hand, you've got megachurch, the charts go, whew, I told you using my hand, it was going to be really cool, right? You're like, why didn't you just put this on a slide? I apologize. But the megachurch is going like this, number of Christians in America, going like that. So he, again, I'm not against big church. I pray that we would grow. I pray that we would see hundreds come to salvation and this place is, that'd be great, okay? I'm not against the size of church. My point is, is that we have deceived ourselves. And 
over the course of the megachurch trends in America, which, listen, again, it, it's a last 50 years thing, guys. I mean, you had anomalies here and there where like Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s was preaching to like 5,000 people, but it was told it was not the norm at all, at all. And what has happened is that we have deceived ourselves because we see big church popping up here, big church popping up here. We're like, everybody's getting saved. No, they're not. And the reason they're not is because the means through which the gospel goes forward historically even in the Old Testament and through the time of Christ, is by individual people, faithful people, sharing this message of grace. There is no other way by which the means of, like, through which the gospel comes. Yes, it can come through. I mean, I believe in preaching. I do it every week. We do this. I want you to bring people. Bring your friends who don't know Jesus. We'll tell them about Jesus. But I can't be the only one telling them, telling them about Jesus. You have got to tell them about Jesus. It's, it's why, guys, you and, you and I exist. And, and Mercy Hill, I, we have got to, we have got to get our minds off of the, this thinking that it's all about us. And listen, I'm saying that like, I'm just being honest with you as your pastor. I, I don't think we're terrible. But I think that because we live in the midst of this weird culture and this weird time in history, where we've made church all about us, I think we're crazy if we think we're not a little bit influenced by it. We're probably more influenced by it than what we realize. It's kind of like, you know, we, we've all, um, how many people have a smartphone or an iPhone or something? Yeah, pretty much everybody. I, I was, uh, what would it be like to not have your iPhone anymore? Like, here's the thing, I, here's, here's the way I would, when I'm asking myself that question, here's what I say. I could make it. Absolutely. I could do it. I think after about a day, I'd be like, what if somebody emailed me? What if somebody texted me? And I went, well, my, my point is this, is that I'm probably more sucked into the iPhone culture than what I realize. You follow me? And I'm telling you that we are more sucked in to the megachurch American, it's all about you. Burger King, have it your way right, right away at, you know, at this church now. You know, like, is that Burger King that says that? There you go. Thanks. I, I knew it was something like that. Anyway, but like, we're, we're more sucked into it than what we realize. And guys, we, we, we can't be. Because there are lost people in the world now, and there are lost people in generations yet to come. And it depends on our faithfulness to share the gospel. You with me? It is. And, and again, I, I don't want to come across overly harsh, but you know what? I, I, don't, I just don't care. Guys, I, I have no desire. Like, I, I, I love preaching. I love doing this. I love worshiping with you guys every week. And, and I don't think that we are. I really, I really don't. But I just, I don't know, sometimes I just need to say stuff, you know, and kind of get it off my chest. Um, and you can't stop me because I'm up here and I got a microphone, okay? But, but I, I, guys, I don't want to play games. I, I do not want to play games for the next 20 to 30 years. I don't think you do either. But if we're not about sharing the gospel, making disciples in the places that we live, in the places that we work, and also looking at going to the nations... 
and planting churches and making disciples of all nations like Jesus commanded us to do, um, then I, I just have no desire to do this. Are you with me? Are you with me? I, hear me. I, 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 know, I know that you are. Um, but guys, let's not play games. Let's not play games. This message that we have is too, is too precious and it's too great. Um, and it came to us because of the faithfulness of other people. And again, not just the prophets, but if you look back here at the text, verse 12 again, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. So the prophets were faithful, and then whoever brought the good news to them in their day was faithful to announce it, to preach it. God is faithful also, it says, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That the Holy Spirit came, did his thing. We're thankful for it. Let's do our thing, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit, what he has for us. And so, it's a message of grace. It came through an unbelievable means of grace. These people that were willing to serve not themselves but future generations. And then verse 13. And now Peter is going to, he, he wraps up the sentence, that long indicative sentence again, just all of what is true. And now he moves into finally a little bit of application into what to do. And we're just going to touch on it this morning and then we'll unpack it more in the weeks to come. But he says, therefore, therefore. In other words, because of all that I've just told you, that is true. That is good news. That is gospel. Okay? Therefore, what should we do? Here's what he says. A couple of, di three different things, but they're all kind of the same. Prepare your minds for action. Number one. Number two, be sober-minded. And three, set your hope fully on the, what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is incredible because he just got done talking about this gospel of grace, how much grace we've received. That God has caused us to be born again, that it came to us by means of grace, but he says, you know, like even though he's, he's saying our part now, what we're to do, even in that, he, he just can't stop speaking gospel, good news. He's saying, God, yeah, there's all this grace you've already received, but there's more grace to come. There's even more to come. Set your hope fully on that. So what, what does this mean? Let me just explain this. Therefore, in light of this great gospel of salvation, this gospel of grace that we've received, he says, prepare your minds. It, it literally, I don't know if you've got a King James, any King James people in here, I believe the King James says, it's, 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 and it's literally this. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. And so you can see why the ESV didn't translate it that way, because you're like, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. Gird up the loins of your mind. So back in the day, people would wear like long flowing robes or tunics that would usually come down around the ankles. Um, even the guys did. So guys, if you're not comfortable with, you know, tunics, be thankful that you didn't live back then. Um, but here's what, but when the guys wanted to get something done, okay, so I'm trying to imagine this. So you got kind of like this dress thing going on. But, you know, if you really want to get something done, you know, if you're like running or playing basketball or something, you know, I don't even know how you dribble between your legs. It's not going to work. But so what would they do? They would, they would gird up their loins. They, they would take the bottom of their robe and they would tuck it up into their belt. Now, don't freak, you know, so it's still, it's still like knee length. You with me? Okay. So it's not a whole lot, but like they would take it and they would tuck it up into the belt. That's girding up their, 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 their loins. And, and the idea 
And the idea here is so that they could move more freely and more quickly. And so what, and he, what he says is here, he says, preparing your minds for action, girding up the loins of your minds. And this is very important because he's not even fully getting yet to a command outwardly. Those are all going to come. But before there's ever a command of something we need to obey outwardly, guys, there's always something we need to obey inwardly. And inwardly, he says this, he says, don't have any excess, you know, robe hanging around in, in your minds. Don't have any excess thoughts. Don't, don't waste your energy thinking about stuff that just doesn't matter. Gird up the loins of your minds. Tuck it up, like, be ready for action in your mind. Um... My little buddy Rowan had soccer game yet. The last two weeks he's had soccer games, and, uh, and he's pretty good at soccer. He's, I, I'm not bragging on him. Well, kind of, a little bit, but, but he's pretty good at soccer. Um, fifth and sixth grade team, he's a fifth grader. Yesterday he, he, scored, he scored five goals. And the week before that he scored one, but he, was just, he just looked like he was half asleep out there. He's just kind of running around. And so after the game, you know, I mean, we try not to be those parents, you know, that are like, you know, too hard on their kids or something. But at the same time, like, we want them to live to their full potential as well, too. And he's a pretty athletic little guy. And so after the game, we're like, buddy, you look like you were half asleep out there. You know, like, you know, put it. So this week we were like, come on, you know, buddy, right from the get-go, like, get, get after it, you know. And so uh, the, the point being is that essentially what we were telling him, although we didn't use this language, is like, but w- wake up. Gird up the loins of your minds. He'd have been like, what are you talking about? But, but like, get, like it's, it's an attitude thing. You follow what Peter's saying? He's saying, guys, be ready. Be ready. Don't, don't, man, how much energy do we waste thinking about stuff that absolutely does not matter? Ever. The only reason that it matters is, is, is just be, like we could get people that we don't really like to like us anyway. Why didn't this person like my Facebook post? I don't know if it consumes our mind. Maybe, maybe I'm a bad person. I, I mean, I don't know. But like, cut that stuff out. Prepare your minds for action. And then being sober-minded, again, and it's, it's all like it. Sober-minded, it just means um, complete sobriety without any intoxication. And he's not just speaking about alcohol. We can be drunk on people-pleasing. We can be drunk and consumed with uh, affirmation from people. Don't be drunk on anything, any worldly pleasure at all. Have your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and then, again, he's saying the same thing, but they all kinda, they're all leading in the same direction here. Set your hope, what? Partially? A little bit? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's, let's just see here. Let's, let's test this. Just be honest, okay? You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. Right now, right now, this morning, in the last however many, I don't know, 30, maybe more than that probably by now, 30 that I've been speaking, has your hope been set fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Right now, is your hope set fully there? Church, that is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Is that our hope, what we're thinking about? That's why, again, preparing your minds, being sober-minded, is to be set fully on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus comes back. That's what it means, the revelation, 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, as we do that, as we are both thankful for the grace that we have received and absolutely consumed and passionate about the grace that we will receive when Jesus comes back, um, we will be faithful witnesses and we will not let down this generation or the next um, if we can get there. But that's what Peter, through the Holy Spirit, sets before the church to do. And that's, guys, where we need to go as a local church. Worship team, you can come up and we'll close. Just a couple, a couple of questions as we close, okay? Number one, I want you just to think about situations, relationships in your life that might be broken, a little bit hurtful, or maybe you're just not sure what to do with it, okay? Um, that relationships and situations that aren't, they don't really look like the kingdom, okay? Now, I want to be careful in how I say this, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from, is that I just want to ask you, what does it look like for you to infuse that situation with the catalyst of the kingdom, i.e., grace? What does it look like in those situations in your life that are a little bit um, not kingdom-like right now to bring grace into that situation? The reason I say that is because, again, grace is the catalyst of the kingdom, is that it was grace that first came into our life that changed us. And it is God's grace, again, not just from us. We're not the source. He's the source, but it comes through us to others that we could see the kingdom become more real and manifest among us. What does it look like for you to infuse grace into those broken situations in your life? Secondly, if you're a Christian here this morning and you're not amazed by God's grace, I just want to encourage you to just set aside some time where you can gird up the loins of your mind and get by yourself and to fix your hope fully on this grace that's going to be brought to you. All that he's done and all that he will do. Sometimes, guys, the gospel isn't good news to us just because we don't preach it enough to ourselves. And that's where it all starts. Is that maybe you need to go back and you need to rehearse your story. You know, sometimes we forget. And man, on the one hand, praise God that we kind of forget, right? Praise God that we kind of forget, in some ways, the way things used to be before we knew Jesus. Because sometimes it's pretty bad. But sometimes we need to go back and we need to remember and we need to rehearse exactly how God brought us through and how he, the, the people that he sent into our life, the prayers that were offered up. Um, it, yeah, I've shared this so many times, but like for me, you know, this being Mother's Day, like just to honor my mom, like I, you know, the little, this little blue, this little blue uh, cloth chair that we always had um, in the corner of our living room. And so many times when I was not living for Jesus, um, waking up early in the morning and my mom would be having her devotions and just, she would sit there just quietly with her Bible on her lap and her, her, her hand like this over her eyes. And she was praying and I knew I knew that she was praying for me. And, sorry. See, even my own story, it's important for me to rehearse that. 
That's what I'm talking about. What was that in your life? Who were the people that were praying for you? Who were the people that shared the good news with you? Go back and rehearse that until, until you become thankful. And then lastly, as I've already mentioned, guys, isn't it awesome that there's more grace to come? Because <laughs> this grace is amazing. And we received it. In fact, John Newton, you guys probably know the story of the guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader. Uh, one of the most vile things, uh, practices you could, ever, you could ever partake in. And that's what John Newton was. But he heard the gospel. And this grace came like a catalyst into his dark, sinful, wicked life. And it changed him. And it transformed him. And he wrote that great, that great hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for loving us, Father. I, I, just, I just pray, Lord, that you do a work in our heart. Um, and, and I pray for, for hearts that are maybe numb this morning because we, you know, we grew up in church. We hear the word grace a lot. We hear the, the word gospel a lot. We hear good news a lot. But, uh, but Lord, I pray that we'd be moved by it this morning. I pray that it would, I pray that it would change us. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would just really, really help us, Lord. And, and for me, God, this is just such a, a personal prayer. I just pray that you would help me. God, please help me to set my hope fully on the grace that will be brought to me when you come back. Because, Lord, if I'm really honest, and I'm willing to confess this even as a pastor, even as a leader, Lord, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I, I don't know, Lord. My, I think about this past week, and, Lord, my, my hope was set on so many different things at so many different times. But, Jesus, I want to be like you, and I want to obey you. And I just pray that you'd help me. Help us to set our hope fully on your future grace. Thanks for loving us, God. Pray that we would just be able to continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand with me.